They don't understand, they don't understand I'm running with the fam, yeah, I love the fam And we gon' serve the one that's from up above And they gon' know it's us by the way we love All my brothers and sisters and all my mothers and fathers And we gon' worship the father and we gon' drown in this water All my brothers and sisters and all my mothers and fathers And we gon' worship the father and we gon' drown in this water Family, family, family Christ died one time for my Welcome to Reformed Dads, where all things are for dads, through dads, and two dads, as well as the aspiring husband and father. I'm your man, Dusty Marshall. I'm a Christian husband, father, hip-hop artist, and co-founder of Irregular for Christ Ministries. Here with me today, my man, Norm, the master's dog, Dunham. How you doing, brother? What's up, man? How we doing? I'm hanging in there, getting better, healing up. The back is not as bad as it was last week, but uh, yeah. Hardwood floors on skating rinks are, are still nothing to be messed with. Yeah, bro. I, you know, as far as like doing things physical, like I really like I, my wife's tried to get me to join like a softball league and stuff. I'm like, babe, I don't like softball enough to get hurt doing it and not be able to do things that I really want to do. But I understand you're going with your kid and, you know, you're, you're reliving glory days. I understand Exactly. Once upon a time, I loved roller skating. So I can't even say that. I'm like, I kind of did love roller skating enough to find out that I, I should not do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, there there was never once upon a time that I loved softball. So right. exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I don't think there's ever once upon a time anybody loved softball, but it's, it's true. Yeah. It's true. Well, I'm, I'm excited about today's topic. I've been thinking about it for a while. I've been wanting to do it, and I finally think that uh, it's a good time. And the topic that we'll be talking on is um, the attributes of a godly woman and how, how what the attributes are in finding a godly wife. And uh, for those who are already married out there and have children, um, you may be saying, well, I've already found a godly wife. I'm already married. Why is this important to me? Well, it's not only important for the single man to know what to look for in finding a wife, but it's also important, as you were t- t- as we were speaking earlier, for the man with a daughter to know what his what how to raise up his child how, what uh what should be important things that his he should cultivate in his daughter and on the other side for for sons what we should raise our children to look for in a wife so it's absolutely applicable to whether you're married not married have children or not absolutely and then again as husbands it's also something that we as we wash our wives in the, in the water of the word, we're helping her, we're discipling our wives and part of discipling our wives is helping them to grow also in, in areas of of biblical womanhood. I mean, I know that, I mean, you and I have perfect wives. They, uh, they have (laughs) attained that level and, and we'll, we'll, that's our story and we're sticking to it. Right. For all those other guys that may not have the perfect Proverbs 31 wife, we want to help them to, uh, yeah. And, uh, okay. She just left the room. So we're good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, I hear you. And yeah, it's, it's also important. Like you said, uh, we as men, if we know what to help cultivate, what to help, uh, in our marriage, what we should be praying for with our wives, what we should be pointing to in the word, you know, um, my desires for what I 
would like my wife to be or what what I aspire uh, for my wife to to do now are very different than what when we first met and when I we were dating um, was looking for. You know, I was not I was newly walking in the Lord at that time. I was not looking for these attributes that we're going to talk about today. And, you know, I've, I've spoken with my wife. There were all kinds of problems early on because of these things, because we weren't, we, I wasn't looking for what a, a godly wife is the, supposed to have some certain attributes and not to say, you know, God, um, God strikes straight blows with crooked sticks. He uh, uses people, people's sin brings them together and God uses that and he sanctifies them and their desires change as my wife and I has uh, over the years. But uh, I know that if I would have been looking for these things earlier on, there would have been um, a lot different path that we might have been on. Absolutely. I mean, when I, when I met my wife, I also was pretty young in the faith. I hadn't been saved for that long. Um, acted. I think I was, I was, uh, had advanced too far in ministry for the maturity level that I was at. Um, I was, you know, leading Bible studies and stuff like that, where I probably should have still been, uh, just sitting in on them, but I was also very egalitarian in my, mm. my biblical worldview. And so I was you know, looking for a wife that could be a pastor with me kind <laughs> of thing. Right. And so, okay. so yeah, I agree. If, if my theology had been a little better, um, it would have paths would have been much different. Uh, attitudes would have been much different. And I mean, reality is I may not have been in the spot where I was to meet my wife when I did. So it's right. kind of one of those catch 22 things where it's like, praise God, I was there. I, I hate to say, praise God. I had bad theology at one point in time, but hmm. it, it put me in the position where I was to meet my wife when I did, but also God has graciously grown me and her uh, in many ways from there. Yes. And, and it really has come from the willingness to just disciple my wife and say, let's, you know, let's look at this the way it is now. We were wrong back here. Now we've got to repent and move forward in, in where yeah. God wants us to go. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what, when I laughed there, I wasn't laughing at you. I was laughing with you because I was thinking the same thing when my wife and I were in ministry, not necessarily pastors, but to be out on the road ministering together um, and just, you know, starting off in ministry so early, having such a passion and not really having somebody to wrangle me in and say, well, just sit for a while and learn. You know, I decided Back in 2013, a Christian, maybe, you know, uh, very early to hit the road and, and go preach and uh, go to recovery groups and share testimony. And, you know, um, between events of preaching and, and, and ministering, my wife and I were fighting like cats and dogs, you know, um, and it was just it was not what it was supposed to be. And it was a mess. 
but you know god you know continually showed us grace and and sanctified us and gave us hardships to go through to bring us closer together but i hope uh i never had someone sit me down and give me godly uh attributes to look for in a wife so that is why i'm very excited to talk about them today absolutely for sure. So, yeah. So let's jump into it. First right. thing, I'm going to start. Um, I'm going to start at Proverbs 31, and these aren't in any order uh, of importance. I'm just giving attributes, uh, biblically speaking. Um, Proverbs 31:30 says, "Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised." So, what does Amen. this teach us here? It's not going to be about charming speech. It's not going to be about her beauty. It's the first attribute that we should look for in a wife is, does she fear the Lord? Are the things of God important to her? And scripture tells us, you know, what does light have to do with darkness? Like if you're a believer and you're a man, you shouldn't be looking for a wife who's an unbeliever that the two should not marry. Um, so, so that's point one. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, we see it, we see it a lot. I mean, I'm seeing it with a couple of guys in our church right now that are um, unequally yoked. Um, one, because they, they stepped into it being unequally yoked, uh, married a woman who was not a believer. And then one where he actually came out of the Mormon church and his wife is still in it. And so it's interesting to see the, the two uh, dynamics and similar situations and similar struggles, but then there are some that are completely different. Um, right. Because again, if you're, if you're coming in as a believing young man and you are like, and again, I, I go back to growing up Mormon, it was very much encouraged in Mormonism to flirt, to convert. So boys were, were encouraged to date, um, you know, especially outside of Utah where there aren't a whole lot of Mormon girls for the boys to date. They are urged to date non-Mormon girls to try to convert them. And Real I've quick, seen, is, that, is that a coined Mormon phrase? Is, is that like something that you would hear used flirt to convert or is that something you oh, brought you'll, together? No, you'll hear that a lot. In, 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 <laughs> yes. uh, well, let me say you heard it. I heard it a lot back then. I don't know okay. if they still say it. I've been out of the Mormon church for 20 some years now. So okay. Uh, okay. praise God for that. But, um, but yeah, no, that was a statement that we used quite a bit and the missionaries use it. You, I mean, they're not going to say it to the other person that they're talking to, but yeah. you'll hear them in their own conversation. They use that terminology quite a bit, but I've seen it as well in some Christian circles. Sure. Um, you know, you'll hear people, especially people who send their kids to public school. You know, the intention is, well, it's an evangelistic uh, endeavor. We send right. our kids to public school so they can share the gospel with their friends. Well, how much are your kids really sharing their gospel with their friends or are they being dragged down by that? And right. same situation, you know, your, your Christian young son should not be going out and dating 
a non-Christian girl with the hope of bringing her to youth groups so she might hear the gospel, so right. she might get saved. So then, no, we should be encouraging our young men to look for women who fear the Lord right now. Yes. You know, who yes. are already on that path because it, it's it's so much simpler. Go share the gospel with people who need to hear it. And if you're not dating and you're you're able to just go preach, you know, young man, go out there and and preach. High schoolers too. You know, yep. I will take I will take any high school kid with me down to the LDS temple or the abortion mill or wherever you want to go and learn how to preach the gospel. You go preach the gospel. And if you happen to find a young lady that hears, repents, and and comes to Christ and then wants to date you, that's great. But don't do that with the intention of finding a woman. Indeed, yeah. Um, and it's it's important to clarify. I don't mean this this scripture. It says a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. A woman who fears the Lord is is fears God and is reverent to His law, right? So we're not just talking about a woman who sits in church on Sundays and then lives like hell all week, okay? True. A, a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Now, I will say that um, there's a pursuit and there's sanctification and there's, you know, young believers and things that are early on. But the point of what we're saying is these are the attributes to look for in a woman. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. A woman doesn't fear the Lord if she goes to church on Sundays and then she's living like she's never heard of God all week through. That's not the fear of the Lord. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not the, it's not the attitude of the repentant heart. Yeah. And, and what do we mean by fear the Lord? She reads, she, she wants to obey God and his word. Um, she wants to put herself around others who are seeking after the Lord. Um, the things that God have called her to are important to her. You know, um, a woman who fears the Lord uh, will probably want to have children and raise those children up uh, and train them up in the way that they should go as the scriptures command us. So that should be something you would be asking yourself as well. Does this woman want to have children? And does she want to bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Is that important to her? Because that's another command of God. There's the dominion mandate, you know, to be fruitful and multiply, uh, rule over the earth. And then there's also the raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord commandment. So those should be something. Uh, and, and, you know, in our culture, you may be like, you really want me to ask a woman about these things early on? Um, and I'm saying, yeah, I do, because you shouldn't be dating. You, you shouldn't be seeking a woman if you're not seeking to marry her, right? You shouldn't be seeking after. You shouldn't be going on a test drive of the car, you know, to see if you want to buy the car. That's not the way that biblical um, right. dating, if you would call it, works. Right, exactly. Yeah, that with along with that analogy, if you're just going around and joy and and test driving cars with absolutely no intention of buying it, it's called joyriding. It's 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 not test driving. That's joyriding. Indeed. And, 
Absolutely. You, if, I mean, every time, every dating situation should be within the, or courtship, wherever you stand on that. I'm, I don't have really have a dog in that fight. I can, I can argue both sides of it pretty well, whether you want to go with courtship or dating. Um, I dated my wife, but those conversations have to be had. Uh, we made an agreement. We talked about when we started dating that we were going to meet. We, we had met at a Bible study. So we were going to go out afterwards on Thursday night, go to Dairy Queen, sit down, have ice cream. And we were going to do basically kind of a 20 questions kind of thing. And it was no holds barred. You could ask whatever question you need to, needed to ask. But those are the questions that have to be asked. What are your views on having children? Um, you know, I knew right away that my wife came from a large family. She's got uh, three biological brothers and six adopted siblings. So it was like, bam, okay, that's something that that intrigues me. And she was the same thing. She's like, I want to have a big family. I yes. Mean, God's situation that has us right now, we have a very small family, but we're hoping that that's going to increase. And so homeschooling, that was another conversation that had to be had. What do you feel about sending your kids to a public school versus a homeschool? And we were both on the same page as we want to homeschool our kids. We want our children to be taught by us and not by the government. We don't want our children raised by Caesar. Right. Um, I've seen so many couples that, you know, they they have that that struggle of, I want my children to be public school. And well, no, I want them to go, you know, I have great friends that find themselves in that spot. One guy has, has had parents who were administrators in the public school system, and he just all about it. And again, with young life experience, he's like, it's all about evangelism. It's all about them carrying the gospel into the school. And she's like, no, I want them taught at home. Sure. And then so at some point in time, you got to come to an agreement. What are we going to do? You know, and so again, compromises happen and arguments span from there. And so, yeah, those questions have to be asked early. And I'm glad you said arguments because that brings me to this point is how does she, is she contentious? Is she submissive and is, or is she boisterous and rebellious? So the Bible talks about a contentious woman is like the dripping of a leaking roof. Uh, Proverbs talks a lot about that, what living with a contentious woman is like. Um, And submission, right? Is she submissive? And you can, a lot of the times, and not every time, this isn't the perfect scenario, but you can tell if a woman is going to be a submissive husband, the way that she treats her father. Um, I know a lot of us don't have the perfect dad. Uh, There's a lot of uh, scenarios of abuse and and neglect and disappearing fathers and everything else. But for the most part, a good, a good, uh, a good view of finding how a woman is going to treat you is how she treats her parents. It's true. Yeah. To be able to watch. And that, again, that puts you in a place as you are a young man looking at a wife and so on. That means you've got to be in a place where you know her parents. 
Mm-hmm. You know, if 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 you're looking at, at dating a young woman, and you know, even if she's a, a young lady that goes to church and so on, you met her. You met her at a Bible study, but you've never met her parents. There, there's there's going to be a problem there. You know, yes. You know, again, looking at, at things that Vody has said, um, young man, if if you have not spoke to this young girl's father you are in a place where you should not even be. You do not have the right to even be conversing with that young girl. Right. um, In any way, shape or form about relationship or anything. You have not earned that right by speaking to her father. Yes. At least at some point in time and saying, I would like to date court, whatever with your daughter. And so if you've never met her family and, there, talk there to her dad and ask him. Her dad, yeah, Absolutely. talk to her dad because she's underneath her dad until she's married, right? She's she's under his headship until uh, she marries. And I love, uh, I I think it's Vody talks about it or Paul Washer, and we're talking about the car test driving. It's like, what if would you let this this young man who comes to your house? Would you let him take your brand new Lamborghini? for a test drive, would you let him drive it? Then why would you let him take your daughter out? Exactly. Why exactly. would you do that? Which one's more valuable, your your car or your daughter? And, um, you know, I never, I never, I never followed these godly principles. Um, I was not raised that way. I didn't know these things. I wasn't raised to respect women, to, 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 or to or to respect their fathers at all you know if you would have if you were a godly woman seeking a godly man i didn't have any of these attributes um, that we're talking about i, I didn't have a, a healthy respect for my parents i didn't have uh, you know i had a fear of the lord that was still being worked out but but this is something that as we go back go back to the main point um submissive and not contentious, right? Um, a boisterous woman, it does, the Bible doesn't say a boisterous woman is to be sought out and praised. No, it says a gentle and kind spirit. Um, it says uh, wives are to submit to their husbands as Christ, uh, as the church does to Christ, you know, as husbands are and to, to Christ. So, you know, we need to think about that. Um, Submission for women in our culture is seen, you know, from the feminist movement as a weak thing. If you if you submit to your husband, if you submit to the authority that's been given to him by God, well, that's weakness. But that's a that's a, a lie because all of us are in submission, right? We are either in submission to God, we're submission to idols that we've made. Um but husbands are in subjection, submission to Christ, and wives are in submission to their husbands. So we're all in submission. That doesn't mean that any one is lesser than the other. That just means we are in the proper order as the way that God has designed it. And when that order gets flipped, whoo, problems. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and again, our society, submission in our society is defined by 50 shades of gray. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's defined as a as a 
sexually demeaning thing. And that's what our society looks like. And that's why we, that's why we have to have our kids in, in schooled at home and so on to where we can protect them from that. But that is what the feminist movement has made submission to be. They've turned it into a bad word. I actually, every wedding that I've done, when I talk about submission, I put that in there to say, this is not a 50 shades of gray thing. This is not man domineering over their wives because that man has got to be in submission to Christ. It, it, I mean, cause it lays it out. Wives submit to your husband as he submits to the Lord. Submit yes. to your husband as the church submits to Christ. Submit yourselves one to another. There are all these places where the word submit, and it literally means give yourself. That's what the word submit means, to give yourself. You give yourself as he has given himself. Give yourself as the church gives herself to Christ. Give yourselves one to another. These are the places where the Bible talks about submission in relationship to husband and wives. And yes. so we understand that we are giving ourselves. It's the change in identity. It's yes. why it's the, it's the same thing as we identify as Christ, as you and I, as we have submitted ourselves to Christ, we find our identities in Christ. Our wives, as they are submitting to us, when the wedding happens, as the, as the marriage happens, it's why names change. It's why a woman takes the name. We have taken on the name of our Savior. We have taken on the name of Christian as opposed to worldly or whatever. Our identity has changed, and it's the same thing for the wife. It's a change of identity. It's a change of who you are. It's a change of submission to your father, to submitting to your husband under the headship as God has laid it out. And again, yes. so, so man, if, if you're going to expect your wife to be submitting to you, you had better be submitting to the Lord. Yes. You've got to get yourself in a place yes. where you are giving yourself to God. You've got to get away from the pornography. You've got to get away from the worldly garbage. You've got to get away from the, you know, the, the ungodly aspirations and submit yourself to the Lord. Yes, and then, absolutely wash your wife in the water of the word so she can rightly submit to you. And so your children can submit to you. And so you can have these things in order, but yeah, I mean, we've got to get away. We've got to get back to what the biblical definition of submission is. And it's giving yourself changing identities, becoming somebody different than what you were before you were saved and before you were married and who you are now. Yes. Yeah. We should, uh, a, a quote from Vodi's teaching uh, is strive to be to be the kind of man this woman is looking for strive to be the kind of man this woman should be looking for. And I can say, you know, my personal testimony, the strife in my marriage uh, and continues to be. But the main problem early on was. Was the the strife between who leads the house, right? Who is, who, is there a mutual submission there or is there uh, a leadership and submission there? Um, and our roles were constantly at battle. I mean, Genesis 3, uh, 16, it, part of the, the fall, the curse is, you know, God says your to to Eve, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. In other words, your desire shall be his role, 
Yep. Instead of the role that I've put you into. And unfortunately, and as we were reading in Douglas Wilson's book, the man is going to lead. The question is, will he lead well? well yeah, that, that's the question, right? Yeah, it's it's that that and I've heard it in the church. I've heard it said in the church that men are the head of the household, but women are the neck and they determine <laughs> yeah. what way the head points. And and right. we got to get away from that. We got to go. No, the the head, especially. I mean, again, you know, there are so many things biblically that we can go back and look at that are different than the way we define them now. You know, right. we we make a a definite definition of neck and head, whereas the same thing <laughs> we make a definition between hand and wrist, right? Yeah. But when you look at the Bible, the Bible, and it talks about Jesus being nailed through his hands, well, biblically, the 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 hand wrist was part of the hand. And we know that Christ was likely Ah. nailed through the wrist. (laughs) The neck is literally part of the head. It's not a, a, just a separate part part that we can go, okay, well, yeah. And you know, it's a, it's a silly little phrase, but people say it and they believe it and understanding that men, you are the head that the rest is the body. Right. You know, right. and so again, if we're going to take the the phraseology and apply it to the family, husbands, you are the head, the family, wife and children, they are the body, just right. like Christ is the head, the church is the body. There's no neck in there that we right. make this, this is, and so it is, comes down to men, are you going to lead well? Because you are going to lead. And if yes. you're not going to lead well, then it's going to go off the rails. And like you said, I've I've had to repent of that many, many times because early on I was, I fell into that. I was like, okay, well, I will be the head, but yeah, I'll let you direct where you want me to lead. Right. And, and, and it led to a lot of very poor decisions, a lot of very poor situations. And, you know, and we had to step back and repent and go, okay, now we move on. And, you know, we may be digging ourselves out of the hole that I put us in. And men take responsibility. Yeah. You're called to lead responsibility. You're called to lead, you know, again, cause we can all, we can go back and we can make excuses and go, well, it was because she did that. No, it was because you did not lead well. And so that's what happened. You take the responsibility. You are responsible for wherever the, the poor leadership has led. You can't, you know, men abdicate too easily and we we let the blame thing go and we we do exactly what adam and eve did we we point fingers well it was the woman you gave me no adam it was you right you did it yeah you had opportunity to protect her and you didn't exactly yes yeah and and you know that was I don't, I don't put the the blame on my wife in that situation with the fighting of who was going to leave the house because I was handing over a lot of my responsibility to her out of laziness, out of not wanting to have arguments, out of not wanting to have contention in my, in my marriage. But, but it doesn't say, you know, lead only if, you know, there's not going to be contention in your household. It says, contentious wife is something not that like it's a dripping of a leaky roof. It's something you don't even want to share a house with. You want to be on the corner of that, that house, you know, uh, a contentious wife is, is, uh, 
easier to restrain than the wind. <laughs> you know, that's what Proverbs speaks on. So, so yes, um, a wife who is submissive, who's not contentious, not meaning that she doesn't have a voice at all, but right. that she is not going to fight over every single decision that comes up, every opportunity. You, you don't want that no matter how beautiful she is, how um, seductive she is, you know, those, those attributes that you find so enticing that our sin and our flesh find so enticing early on in a relationship, well, they end up being a snare later. Absolutely. They end up, they end up being a snare and they end up, uh, we end up overlooking so much because of the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. And that is why the Bible's clear on these things. Right. And uh, what you said something there and it, it, it struck me and it's amazing how, how contentious it can be and how, it, how contentious it can become when we as men abdicate our responsibility to avoid contention. Yes. It's amazing how much that, that, you know, we, we're like, well, we'll just let you make the decisions because we don't want to have, you know, we want happy wife, happy life. Right. Yeah. And yes. so we, we bought into that, but so much, so many of my early contentious situations with my wife came out of situations where I had let go of my leadership to avoid contention. And that it led directly. And I honestly think, I think that is, is something that God allowed and God almost it, wording is, is important, but it's almost a gift to say, I mean, even we, we use it in, in when sharing the gospel, like the abortion mill, the guilt you feel is a gift from God to draw you to repentance. The yes. contention that we endured because I didn't want to be contentious was truly a gift from God to lead me to repentance, to yeah. say, I see it now. I get it. I understand. Lord, I'm sorry that I abdicated. Show me the right path. Yes. Lead me to be a good, a better leader. Yes. And what, what does a good leader do? They make sound decisions in the midst of contentious situations, Amen. right? You make sound decisions in the midst of hardship. And that is all, almost too, you know, men and women are wired differently. You know, women um, are more relational and emotional not always, but that is, you know, more so men are a little more uh, A and B and, and women are a little more relational, make decisions based on relation. And it's just um, in our, in our nature, you know, the way that God created us. And I believe that has to do with men, you know, is not making decisions based on emotions, but being able to clearly see a whole situation um, and make the best decision, not always considering only the emotional side of it, right? It's like, right. like you were saying before, you know, happy wife, happy life. Well, that's, that's what I was taught early on as a Christian. I even remember one of my older brothers in the face saying, get used to this phrase, honey, I'm sorry I was wrong, um, just to solve the problem just to, just to move on to the next thing. And that is 
a the absolute i mean yeah you should be willing to apologize and say i was wrong absolutely right. but if, if that's you your sca- if you were wrong okay. and if if that shouldn't be your constant scapegoat to right. get out of an argument oh just hand it over to the wife that is that is right. feminism that is not a, a biblical way of dealing with a situation if you sinned against your wife yep go make it right but if you made a decision based on what you believed was best for the family, for you and your wife and your children, and she disagrees, don't say, Sonny, sorry, honey, I was wrong. Um, will you forgive me? Right. You know, exactly. just stand on, stand in the foundation that God has given you, stand on the leadership that he's called you to. And if you were wrong and it ends up bad, well, then later on do that. But you know what? Your wife shouldn't be looking to say, I told you so. (laughs) That's a contentious wife. Exactly. Um, Exactly. And so, and that is, I mean, men, we we need to, and and again, there's a, we'll, we'll probably talk more on it later, but I mean, men aren't completely devoid of emotion, but decision making should be, based on analytic, uh, you know, on analytics and not simply on emotion. Again, I mean, to put it into a realm that most men will feel comfortable with, you know, when you're doing your, um, your March Madness bracket, when you're, you know, engaged in your bracketology, you don't base your choices just simply on decision. Because if I did that, then I would have the University of Utah winning every single time. On emotion, yeah. Yeah, on 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 your preference. Yeah. You know, we have to base those things on analytics. And so if we're going to use that in such a menial thing like our sports life or, you know, uh, know, predictions and so on, then why would we not put that in the most important sphere that we reside in? And that is the sphere of our family in context of what God's word says. We have to be willing to look at the analytics and the word of God. And what does God's word say about this situation, about what I should be doing? And then we analyze it and we let go of the pure emotion which a lot of times the pure emotion will be, I just want to make my wife happy. Right. Or I just want to, I just want my daughter to stop asking me for this. I just want her to stop crying. I just want her yeah. to, you know, we get into that, at that laziness, emotional, emotional decisions are, are, are founded in laziness and not yes. willing to analyze the situation and go, no matter what anybody thinks, this is the best decision that I can make for my family right now based upon the word of God yes. and not just what I want. Yes, that's and that's good too, to point out because as your family grows, if you're making decisions just to please your wife to avoid contention, as you have children, well, your decision-making as a leader changes, right? Because now you not only have to think about your wife, but you have to think about your children. Like your wife may want to go, uh, you know, out somewhere and you have to, as a husband, consider if your children are going with you, is that a place that I feel comfortable taking your children? Well, your wife might be like, well, this will make me happy. Um, but 
you know, and this is an example, but that you will have to make a decision thinking about your whole family, not just your wife, or you may be putting your child in danger at the expense of your wife. And that will make your marriage even more troublesome. Exactly. Exactly. You know, so, so consider that when, as your family grows, as you have children, if you're constantly making emotional decisions or trying to avoid conflict with your wife, well, how are you going to consider the decisions you make for your children? What if, what if your wife um, wants to send your kids to public school? What if she uh, doesn't want to homeschool them? What if she wants to seek out a job of her own? And that's why we continually go back to before you marry this woman, look for these things, ask her these questions, go to her father first, talk to him. Um, and, you know, it, she may be beautiful and she may be um, the, you know, the most outgoing, awesome thing. But if you start digging into the, the things that you're looking for in a godly woman, well, um, they might not align. And if you make a decision based on your emotions, the Bible says that the heart is deceitful, wicked above all else who could trust it. Um, you can't trust your feelings. You can't trust your heart. And that is why we have God's word as the black light that we hold everything under. For sure. Absolutely. You know, and, and again, as I'm, you know, we're talking this out and, you know, we're kind of gearing this towards young men who are looking at wives and, and meeting wives. For those of us who already are married, um, guys, if you're in this and you're hearing this and you go, I didn't do any of this. I didn't do any of this. Don't try to use that as an excuse <laughs> to go. I'm with the wrong woman. I have right. to go. No. Nope. No, you are with the woman that you are supposed to be with. If you are married and the ring is on your finger, now it's a time to come back to a place. And you may still be in the situations that we're talking about. Praise God that, you know, we've gotten, my wife and I have gotten far beyond that to the point where we have a very biblical looking marriage. Now we have a very, you know, where she's willing to submit to me as I submit to Christ. And we're still digging ourselves out of some holes. My wife still works and she doesn't want to, but we're in a spot right now where we need both of those incomes because I led poorly. And so now we are in the midst of our repentance for that. And we're getting to a place where we can go. We are now financially where she doesn't need to work. And we are and so don't see it as, oh, I just completely screwed up and, and I need to change. No, changing looks like repenting and now finding what are those things that God wants your marriage to look like and moving forward in them. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you also brought up, you know, in that um, if you have children, if you have daughters, if you have sons, it's time to start. And they're around that age. Don't think it's too late for them if they're, you know, already in the age where, you know, they're thinking um, about dating or whatever that looks like. If they're in their teens, like you are the head, you are the head. And if right. you want to start changing things as far as how you're going to allow uh, your daughter to date or not to date, that's on you, dad. 
And I'm not saying come down with the hammer, like out of the blue, like this is the way it's going to be now. Like, it's funny. I was talking to my brother today um, and we were, we were discussing, you know, he was giving me some advice and he was saying, you know, absolutely. We have to train up our children and we need to know God's law and that needs to be the standard, but we also need to communicate it to them in a loving way. And here's an example of that. Let's say you haven't raised your daughter at all this way. And she's already gone out on dates um, with boys. The way to not do it would be have her come. Don't do this. If she comes home one day and you say, we're not doing that. You're not doing that anymore. This is it. I'm putting my foot down. You will never go out on a date again. That's not the way to do it. The way to do it is to repent for what you have not done first. What you have not done first. You need to let her know that you have made the mistake, dad, and you have allowed things to happen that should have never happened. You need to repent of those things. And then you need to lovingly point her to scripture and lovingly let her know how much you care about her. And that needs, that should be the way that you go about it. Not, I heard a podcast. I know I've been doing it wrong. I looked up the scripture in the Bible and you're locked in your room for the rest of the year. (laughs) Right. We're, We're taking away your cell phones. We're taking away your social media. We're taking all this away and you're never talking to a boy again until I talk to them first. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. It, it, it is, it is repentance. And again, I, I stand on this hill because I've had to do it so many times, but repenting to your children. I mean, again, we don't do it just because to do it. Right. I mean, repent if you need to repent, but if you've made a decision and it's the right decision and they don't like it, don't go back and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong just to appease them. Right. I mean, if dad, if, if you've made a decision and you know that you are standing on God's word and this is the most helpful and righteous thing for your child, stand firm on that decision. And they're going to tell you how much they hate you and they're going to slam the door and, and all that stuff. Repent when repentance is needed, but yeah, absolutely walk through it and go, look, I've made this mistake again, dad, you are the head of the household. So, you know, responsibility falls on you. You made the mistake in allowing them to date the way of the world or these things, or, you know, live off their, their Disney, princess uh, <laughs> fantasy the heart you know, wants what the heart wants right you know where every yeah i'm amazed at, at rabbit trail here as you watch disney i've got a four-year-old daughter so i've seen everything disney at this point pretty much and how uh, specific in so many of the disney shows it is there it's a one child or a one parent household but so often it the dad is the one present but he's a moron. And, and so the daughter has to get away from, from dumb dad and his dumb traditions. I mean, Aladdin and, you know, the whole, you know, Sultan and the tradition, you have to marry a prince and blah, blah, blah. You know what, Christian dad, your daughter should be marrying a prince. 
she should not be marrying a commoner. And when we put that in a biblical worldview, she should be following after an adopted child of the king yep. and not somebody who is out there who should not. And you should stand firm. And we yeah. do not we do not waffle on that. But when we have and we've allowed that to happen, then we come back, we repent. I'm sorry, dear, my child, I have allowed you to you know, go off with these men who do not care about the Lord, who do not care about you. They care about themselves and what they can get from this. We need to do this the right way. Let me show you where the Bible says, this is what you should be doing. And this is how you should be pursuing, um, how a man should be pursuing you. And if I haven't talked to him, Again, I mean, not pursuing you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not letting him drive my Lamborghini. And if he's out there, you know, and if he hasn't even come and asked me, you know, again, if you haven't talked to me and suddenly you have the keys to my car and you're out there driving it, that's theft. It is. That's not borrowing. That's not anything you are put. You would put yourself in a place where you should not be get the heck out of my car. You can come talk to me and stay the heck away from my daughter until we've sat down and had a conversation. And I might want to actually talk to your dad and I might want to actually talk to your pastor. I don't want to talk to your youth pastor. I want to talk to your pastor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Again, there's so many things that to be repented of, but this is how we do it. And, and, And you laid it out perfectly, slowly, step by step. I was the one that was wrong. This is what God's word says. This is how we want to do it because I want the best for you. Yes. Yes. And that's the point of what we're saying in this. God knows what's best for us. We don't know what's best for us. Our children don't know what's best for them, right? If we are doing things contrary to the word of God, we are setting ourselves up for destruction. I mean, the Bible talks about the the man who seeks after the adulterous woman seeks to destroy himself. Her feet go down to death. You know, um, these are very serious matters. The most important relationship that you'll have besides the one that you have with the Lord is your wife, you know, your husband. And, you know, it's not something to test out on your own emotions and allow uh, mistakes just to to happen and see what happens and to learn from it. That's not, (laughs) you won't find that in scripture to say, yeah, you know what, just go sin, learn from that sin, you know, and don't do it again. Uh, No, that's, that's, that's not what the Bible says. We need to fathers, here's something from that. If you have daughters, And this is, I have three daughters, and this is something that I have to continually be reminded of. If your daughter is not getting your affection, she is going to seek it somewhere else. Absolutely. She is going to seek the affection because God has put it in her, right? To seek the affection of a man. And if she's not getting that from you, dad, if she's not not getting the affirmation or love or nurture from you, her spiritual head, well, then she's going to be seeking it elsewhere, and that is where a lot of these problems arise when um, when women are 
not getting their fathers aren't giving them the attention they're not giving them the love or, or nurture from, from they they should be giving them and they start seeking it from anywhere any man that will give that to them and men you know they don't have the best intentions they have their own intentions right they're 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 emotionally thinking about what they're doing and why they show women attention and women are just looking for attention, mm-hmm. you know, for sure. Exactly. And, and it's emotional and physical. Again, the, the thing, the Vody, um video that I watched, um, he talks about that. He talks about, you know, we, we, let the world make these definitions. And so at some point in time we go, okay, the world says it's no longer appropriate for dad to show any kind of physical love and affection towards his daughter. You know, she shouldn't sit on his lap. She said he shouldn't hug her and you know, he shouldn't kiss her. I mean, we're seeing that in, in media nowadays. I mean, um, and with men, with daughters and sons, you know, um, I can't remember who it was. Somebody, on social media on Twitter got blasted because it showed, I want to say, I can't know. I don't remember who it is. Somebody was kissing their 10 year old daughter on the lips and Twitter lost its mind. And I mean, this guy was like every dirty, disgusting thing possible. And of all people who came to the guy's defense and I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed that I'm here, but Tom Brady, Oh, <laughs> Oh, Tom Brady came to okay. I, I'm, good old Tom. I'm, I'm I'm a Brady hater from from day one. You know, yeah, you talk about yeah. we don't know what's good for ourselves. I'm a lifelong Broncos fan. I did not know what's good for me. <laughs> but Tom Brady posts a picture of him giving his ten year old son a kiss on the lips, and it's like, dude, it's okay yeah. to to show physical emotion towards your kids. You know, Absolutely. hug your daughters, hug your sons kiss them, give them the physical, emotional love that they need to have up until they're 17, 18, 19 years old. Because like you said, if you're not going to give it to them, if you're not going to show them appropriate, godly, physical, and emotional love, which includes holy kisses and hugs (laughs) and all those things that are there that are biblical and holy and righteous, they're going to seek it out somewhere else and they're going to get it from somebody who only knows what the world has to offer and it's going to be ugly and disgusting and painful. Yes, I'm, I'm really glad you said that too and went there because as you were talking about definitions of love, you know, love in our culture is, is it, it's only an emotional thing it's in between a man and a woman. It only has to do. It's it's been so uh, tarnished where it has to do with sexuality. Everything has to do with sexuality. It has right. it has some um, devious mind behind it or some you know lustful intention behind it. But it's like that is not how God designed love. It's not only a, a sexual thing. You know, there's, there's love for a brother. There's, uh, there's love from God. That's perfect. There's love of a father to his children and wife. And, you know, don't let 
the culture steal the true meaning of love away from right. you. <clears throat> yeah. Um, again, to, to as disgraceful as the, the quote may be to quote DC talk, love is a verb right? It is. Yeah. It's an action. Love is a verb. It is an action. It is not necessarily, it's not just this overwhelming, massive emotion that we get that, that drives every aspect of our lives. Um, You know, I mean, I come out of a a long line of Pentecostal teaching and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So most of the scripture that I have memorized comes from the NIV. And you know, the only place where the NIV describes, Vody made the comment, he says, if you fell in love, well, something you can fall into is something you generally need to dig your way out of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The only place in the NIV where it uses the terminology fell in love, somebody fell in love with somebody, is talking about Samson and Delilah. Samson <laughs> fell in love with Delilah. And if you look in, and I don't, I tried searching it in other versions and it's not the same dynamic, but in the NIV, if you look up the terminology in quotes, fell in love, you will find one reference, and that is Samson falling in love with Delilah. And he absolutely had to dig himself out of that. So yes. how we define love is very important. If we're going to just let love be this overwhelming force of emotional you know, power that drives everything that we do, then we're looking at the wrong thing. Love is an action that we commit to. It's a choice that we make. It is something that we do. We love people. We love our family. And it is a, it's a verb. It's not a noun. It's not someplace we can go and come back from. It is a place we have something that we have to choose to do on a daily basis. Yes. There are days that my wife doesn't want to love me. Yeah. Right. Because I'm I'm more. My wife's the same way. (laughs) (laughs) She has to make the decision to love me regardless. Exactly. Exactly. She chooses every day to love me. You know, they're the the days that I I fight with my daughter to to write W's. Right. You know, we're doing homeschooling and she just doesn't want to write the letters. And, you know, I like I just want to kick you out of the room. (laughs) And so I can, you know, but choosing to love her means, okay, honey. Let me help you. Let me show you. But you've got to do this. You're not getting up out of this chair. You're not walking out of this room to go have a snack or go have a break or do anything until you have done this. And that's what love looks like. It's choosing to do some things sometimes that are hard. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, something that can be hard for women to choose even to do um, is, falling along those lines is giving up their pursuits to be accountable to their household, right? To be accountable to their husband. That's a decision. Like if you're a, if you're a man, you know, uh, and seeking out a wife, is she, is your, is your woman, is she willing to do that? Is she willing to give up her pursuits to, be your helpmate, to right. take care of the home, to um, come alongside and help what God has called you to do. Is she willing to do that? Um, you know, that's something like it says in Titus 2 uh, about uh, a woman being committed to the home. Is she committed to that? 
Cause that's some, right. that's, that's, you know, it's not saying you can't work outside the home, but it's saying you must be committed to the home. Um, so, so that's the first commitment. And then, you know, and you can go through Proverbs 31 and you can see all the things that, a that says that a godly wife does. I mean, she's committed to her home and then that expands out. Um, but you know, the, I think sometimes when I read Proverbs 31, it's like, uh, the aspirations of a, a well-seasoned woman, you know, or right. something to read, to strive for and not to feel upset when you're not, <laughs> when you're not there. Cause there's a lot of things there. Right. Uh, you know, she rises early. <laughs> she stays up late. She sell, she's a trader at the marketplace sells, selling garments. And, uh, you know, she considers a field and buys it like all of these things you know, aspirations, but uh, essentially it's like, does she have a commitment to God and his word? Is she committed to the home? Is she committed to, um, being submissive? Is she contentious? Uh, is she boisterous? Is she, does she practice? Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, does she have a gentle and quiet spirit and does she, does she flaunt her attributes right. or is she modest, modest, you know, bringing that's the word modesty. Yep. Um, mod, is modesty important to her and bringing uh, it says that women are not to bring more attention to themselves, but to the Lord. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a, that's a, uh, an important thing. And we've taught, you know, last week when we talked about, leading and not being fear of failure and stuff like that. And we talked about that in the sense of men, sometimes you have to put aside things in order to do what God has called you to do. So now we get to talk to the women about the same kind of thing. You know, men, if you know, you need to provide for your family. And if your hopes and dreams are not what that is going to be right now, well, then you need to do what you need to do right now to make a provision for your family and right. then pursue those things on your own time. Women, same thing. You've got to, I mean, Proverbs 31 is a great thing to uh, aspire to, but right now we've got to do, you've got to do what, what God has called you to do for your family. And right. that may be giving up some of, of your aspirations to homeschool or to be the help meet and stuff like that. And sometimes it means, and, and what we just talked about giving up the, the fashion and the style that the world is telling you, you should look like and, and dressing modestly and exercising right. that modesty. You know, right. I mean, I, I praise God. My wife has, has always been one that has been very, very modest from the beginning when, when we first met, um, she has been, and, you know, but you've got to give up the, the worldly fashion. You, you know, you don't get to be J-Lo. Right. <laughs> right. Sorry. Yeah. You know, yeah. you don't, you don't get to, to where, I mean, I just, you flip through articles all day long and I saw something about J-Lo in a tight dress that's cut. And I'm like, well, we can't click on that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. you, again, you, you have to, there are, there are great examples of how to live and dress and act modestly. And, sure. and again, modesty isn't just necessarily in the manner of dress. It, it does come down to, um, you know, 
how is your demeanor? Do you have a modest demeanor or are you flamboyant, you know, in, in the way that you deal with the world? Um, you know, are you, are you, are you a, a summer Jaeger or are you a Kaylee McEnany, you know? Yeah, again, it, there are there are great examples of what it looks like to be a very godly woman in dress, in in demeanor, um, in attitude. And then, I mean, we could go on and on about yeah. the ones that yeah. are, are not. Yeah, you know. sure, sure, yeah. And and you th- think about this too. You know, when God talks about the importance of modesty, and and we're talking about, you know, how does she submit to her father, like. The, the there's fruit in showing that she doesn't submit to her father or possibly that her father hasn't shown her the affection if she's out dressed a certain way there's right. an indicator right the woman that's dressed walking the street in a bra and underwear she may not she probably didn't receive the affection she needed from her father her father may be letting her leave the house like that She's not uh, practicing modesty. That that beautiful woman, probably not the woman for you, godly man. What? It, how did Bodhi put it? You know, the woman who dresses like that, is, she's showing you what is the most important to her. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. And and you know, not to go on on a rabbit trail, but it's that that was something that wasn't important to me early in in coming out of uh you know being an unbeliever and being saved i wasn't thinking about modesty no one ever even talked to me about modesty or dress or anything like that um i always just what pleases my eyes you know it, my the family that i come from uh the the leadership dynamic in the household is just so out of whack i you know i was my my mom is is very outspoken on things and uh very much wants you know to lead and um you know people a lot of the times the households that they're raised in will be the men and women that they seek after because that's what they were raised around sometimes they'll look for the complete opposite but a lot of the times you know if you come from, you know, a broken home of some kind, you might be looking for a broken piece person, which brings me to the point, what we talked about in the very beginning, don't look for the person to complete you. Um, that person doesn't complete you. That's another fallacy made up by the world. Right. You complete me, honey. You make me such a better person. We go back to the evangelism through marriage or evangelism through dating or the public school system. That's not the way that it works. God separated himself from, God separated his people from idols. He separated his people from women who worship false gods because he knew where that would lead. Bad company corrupts good character. King Solomon, one of the the wisest men of all time, what led to his downfall? The marrying of many wives who were seeking, whose gods were idols, you know, that he eventually ended up worshiping with them. Exactly. Exactly. And so that the whole you complete me kind of th- again we we need somebody that compliments us that that it's not a completion it's the complementary 
way that God has made men and women. And we look for that in the context of the church. You know, again, we are the called out ones. God says you are in the world. You're not of the world. So why on earth would we be trying to find a wife that is of the world? Right. Right. We need to be making sure that we are, we are the called out ones. We are, are called out. We are set apart. We are a holy priesthood. You can go on and on and on. We are what God has called out of the world. We're still there. We still deal with it, but we need to be finding those that are, again, equally yoked with us who are in the same situation. And again, you don't need to be, you know, well, how far are you along? How long have you been? <laughs> right. No. Right. But we need to at least be in that that vein of, again, do you love Jesus more than you love me? And are you always going to be to love Jesus more than you love me? Do I get to be number two in your life? Because if, if you're looking for me to be number one, then then our, you know, our uh, scales are off. They're unbalanced. Right. Christ has got to be number one. In yes. both of our lives, we that's got to be paramount, and yes. then we we complement each other in the way that God has created us to complement each other as a as a leader and a help meet, and you know not as, it's not a yin and a yang thing, right? It's not yin yang. It is it is walking alongside of each other as God has called us to do in the roles that God has called us to be in, and rightfully walking in His Word in the right hierarchy of submission, submitting to your husband as your husband submits to Christ, as the yes. church submits to, to, to God, as children submit and we submit to one another. Again, understanding those, those things that God has called us to do, those areas of submission, and then doing them rightly and godly. Yes. You know, again, we, we do not look for somebody that just, you're my, you're my soulmate. <laughs> no, yeah. you know, yeah. because no. because then you you end up in in situations where I mean, I can have a dude that's my soulmate. I mean, you know, if if it was just if it was just in in situations of you know things that we liked and things we have in common and and stuff like that, I would have much rather had just stayed single and and had roommates that you know were just as big of Broncos fans and and you know and <laughs> hip hop poker playing hip hop right artists. exactly you know I mean that but God has called us to something different. He's right. called us out when we got saved and we came out of the world and we became what is not of the world. God said you are different. And right. you need to look different. And that means your marriages should look different. You know, you're, and, and again, I hate the fact that you get from, from society so often where they go, well, marriages and evangelicalism are, are just as equal as they are in the world. Well, that's BS because I guarantee you, if you look beyond just what George Barna calls evangelicalism and you look into places like refuge church in Ogden and Apologia church in, in, in Phoenix and Christ church and some of these really good Carmadale church in, in Illinois and so on. If you look into these churches, I guarantee you the divorce rate looks far different. We are not the same. We are not the same as the world. We are different. And we have people who are willing to put in the work and repent when they have to and do what they have to do to pursue godly marriages because we are called out. Because right. we are those who are set apart. 
And right. God has said, I want you to do these things different. Yes. And, you know, in the context of what you were saying before about Christ has to be first, you know, the scriptures say that uh, Jesus says, he who would come after me, uh, if he doesn't hate mother, father, sister, brother, or even his own life, he is not fit to be my disciple. He's saying, like, give up all of these worldly things in respect to following me come to the cross to die die to your desires die to yourself die to what you think is best and and follow me yep. and i will and he will lead you he will make your path straight he he will he will guide you to to the wife that he's called you to but if you keep doing things the same way that you've always done them looking for the quote unquote woman to complete you or saying things like the heart wants what the heart wants, you know, you're just going to get the same results that you've always gotten. Um, our emotions change all the time. My desires from, from where I, when I met my wife to what they are now are completely different. Completely different. You know, I never thought I would have, uh, a big family. I never thought I would be even married at one point in time. And now like I have the desire to read the word with my wife all the time so that we're continually growing closer to God and closer to each other. And I desire to read the word to my children daily and praise and worship God with them and raise them up in a godly way. Because you know what? I know and I've experienced the other side of it. I've experienced the emptiness and the deceit of fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And listen to somebody speaking from experience saying, don't experience that and, and then decide to do things rightly. Listen right. to God's word. Spare yourself the destruction because you know what? For the things that I did in my past, I am absolutely forgiven. But that doesn't mean the, the sin didn't have consequences in my life, that the things that are in my mind or in my head don't still plague me, not from a condemnation standpoint, but just from a mere lustful standpoint, from giving myself and joining with other women who weren't my wife, just these things have consequences regardless of right. with if we're forgiven or not. And I still, I still have those struggles. I still have those thoughts and I have to take those thoughts captive all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, our sin has consequences and there are repercuss repercussions and there are residual effects from sin. Yeah. Every, every single thing I've ever done past, present and future had been forgiven by Christ as he took my sin upon himself on the cross and he paid the penalty for that. Um, one that doesn't give me license to just go sin. And two, that does not take away any of the, the repercussions or the, the remnants of sin, like you're talking about the, the residual effects um, of joining yourself to other women, the residual effects of years and years of, of looking at pornography. Um, you know, the residual effects, I, I, I don't consider smoking a sin, but the residual effects of, of smoking for years and years, you can quit smoking, you know, yeah. and your body will forgive you for to a point, but 
there's going to be residual effects to that. I can't run the way that I did once upon a time. And it's the same thing with sin. It's like, you know, one of the things that I point out when I'm out at the abortion mill all the time, I'm a post-supportive dad. I, I, 20 some years ago in 1991, I wrote a check to a girl that I got pregnant and I sent it off to her so she could hire a hitman to assassinate our child. And I had mm-hmm. no idea of that. And today I'm completely forgiven of that. Yeah. I've, I'll never forget it though. Right. I mean, I can, I can see, and for years I didn't think about it because I wasn't saved. But once I got saved and I re- registered that what I did was, was sinful. I mean, Every single day, I think about the child that I would have, you know, I would, I would have, I would potentially have grandchildren right now. Mm -hmm. I would have a child who is going on 29 years old. Mm. I would potentially have grandchildren and beyond, you know, and so on. So, I mean, those things never go away. The, the memory of that will never go away. God has taken away the guilt of that. Right. Um, and, and, and the guilt and the shame from that were gifts that led me to repentance for that. But those, that residual effect is always going to be there. It's always going to be there. So again, I would so much rather people hear us talk about this and not have to go through it. Don't yes. make the mistake to learn from the mistake. If you can hear someone else tell you, this is a mistake. Don't do it. Right. Absolutely, brother. Yes. So, yeah, I hope uh, I hope these things that we've spoken on have been encouraging to you. Um, one thing I want to say is maybe her father's passed away or he's not in the picture uh, and you're looking for your bride and what you should do. Go to her pastor. pastor. Go to Absolutely. her pastor. That's where you should go to ask because the pastor should, and I say should because there's a lot of quote unquote pastors out there, but the pastor should direct you uh, in a biblical way how to proceed and help counsel you through things. But yeah, if dad's not in the picture, go to the pastor, uh, go to her pastor. And if she doesn't have a pastor, that's a red flag. <laughs> that is exactly. an absolute red flag. If she doesn't yes. have a pastor, if you go, hey, you know, maybe we can meet with your pastor. I, I don't, you know, I'm I'm going to go to your church now, and I don't have a pastor. Right. Okay. We, maybe we need to have another discussion. Yes. But yeah, absolutely. And and that was a situation that I found myself in because I had didn't have access to my wife's father. He wasn't passed away yet, but there were situations where I yeah. I just couldn't. But she did have a pastor. Yep. There you go. Anything you want to add, brother, before we sign it off? Nope. I just, you know, prayers that, that it was helpful. Um, yes. And that, that it'll help alleviate some of the situations that potentially can be gone through. You know, again, being able to listen to somebody who has been there, made the mistakes and can say, please don't make these mistakes on your own. It's really a good thing. And there's nothing wrong with going, oh, I'll consider that. Yes, indeed. Well, thanks, my brother. And uh, as always, the sign off is Proverbs 24, 6. Surely you need guidance to wage war and victory is won through many advisors. Thanks for tuning in. And God bless. I don't understand. I don't understand. I'm running with the fam. Yeah, I love the fam. 
And we gon' serve the bun that's from up above And they gon' know it's us by the way we love All my brothers and sisters and all my mothers and fathers And we gon' worship the Father and we gon' drown in this water All my brothers and sisters and all my mothers and fathers And we gon' worship the Father and we gon' drown in this water Family, family, family Christ up one time for my whole family Family, family, family Christ up one time for my whole family